Hey folks, welcome back to Wisdom for Life podcast. This is Pastor Glenn here, and this episode is entitled, People You Need in a Pit. Jeremiah chapter 38, verse 2 this morning. Going to start a brand new series, talking about real friends. Just want to kind of get you acquainted a little bit this morning. Uh, Many of us look at friendship through the perceptual lens of what we see in our culture. In other words, we've been taught that a friend many times looks like us, talks like us, maybe thinks like us, likes to do all the same things that we like to do. And I want to tell you this morning, I hate to mess you up this early, but I want to tell you this morning that biblically, that's not real friendship. That God brings friends into our lives, and we're going to see this in, our, in this series, that are many times opposite than us. Many times they, they, uh, they represent things that aren't the same as us. In fact, this statement you'll hear pretty often, and, and it's this, okay? God brings real friends into our lives to complete us, not to be a copy of us. And many times we're looking for a copy when God is looking for someone to complete us. Whatever your weaknesses are, God brings in a friend that has strengths in those areas. And if you'll think a little bit contrarian, if you'll think counterintuitively, you will begin to see that God is matching you up with just the right people to complete your assignment. But you have got to be willing to embrace those people. We're going to talk about how friends show up in really awkward and weird and and just goofy ways and how many times we begin to see that those friends are actually lifesavers. And we're going to look at our first story of that, of that this morning. We find it in Jeremiah 38. A very unlikely friend shows up in the life of Jeremiah. Let's take a look at this. In verse 2 it says, This is what the Lord says, Whoever stays in the city will die by the sword, famine or plague, but whoever goes over to the Babylonians will live. I want you to catch the background here. This is the prophet Jeremiah speaking to the northern tribe, the northern part of Israel, which was Judah at the time. They are being attacked by the enemy. And this prophet, by the way, probably the most unpopular prophet of all time, is saying this attack is God's will. That the Babylonians are here on assignment by God. How many of you know this is not what the people in Judah wanted to hear? This is, how many of you know that God will bring friends into your life to tell you the truth, and it won't necessarily be what you want to hear, but it'll be what you need to hear? If you've got an itching ear, and you're looking for somebody to come in and, and tell you everything's okay, that's not necessarily a friend. Hello? By the way, I just want to kind of, before we get into the rest of the text and the message, I just want to kind of do a sidebar here, okay? Two things. Number one, it's been raining like crazy around here. That's why most of you are acting all depressed. Snap out of it. (laughs) Quit getting on Facebook and talking about all your cruddy stuff. Hey, I'm telling you this morning, listen, listen to me this morning. The new Superman movie's coming out. And I want to tell you, go see it. You need to see that movie because Superman, when he flies above above the clouds, hey, attitude is altitude, and gets back into the sunlight, he gets his power back. Some of you need to understand there might be some clouds in your life, but the sun's always shining somewhere. Come on, wake up. Get a hold of something. 
Golly, man, so it rained for a month. Has nothing to do with my message. Okay, I was just your friend. <laughs> Verse 3, And this is what the Lord says, This city will certainly be given in the hands of the army of the king of Babylon who will capture it. Then the official said to the king, This man should be put to death. He is discouraging the soldiers who are left in the city, as well as all the people by the things he is saying to them. This man is not seeking the good of these people, but their ruin. He is in your hands, King Zedekiah answered. The king can do nothing to oppose you. What a wimp. What a wimp of a king. What a wimp! The prophet of God is telling the truth. The prophet of God knows it's the truth. He's kind of a friendly guy, but he doesn't have the courage to stand next to someone who's willing to tell the truth. Listen, I want to tell you, the Bible says a friend loves at all times. That means having the courage to be there when everybody else, everybody else is saying, you're the one going, hey, we're going to trust God. You're the one that's saying, hey, everybody else maybe is abandoning you, but I'm going to stay right here next to you. Are you a fair-weathered friend? I can't stand wimpy people like that. Don't, don't call yourself someone's friend if you're only their friend when it's popular. If you're a friend, you stick with it. And, and by the way, I want to talk to you about your spouse. If you're a true friend to your spouse, I don't care what's going on in your marriage. You think you're the only one that's gone over a bump? You're going to have a lot of bumps and a lot of lumps if you're married. That's just how it is. You stay by your friend in the name of Jesus. You don't ever talk down your friend. Man, where is loyalty gone in our culture? Come on. We, if, if you're behind somebody, stay with them. And, and love on them. Man, come on. This wimp, this king says, well, you know, I can't do anything here. You're the king. You can do something. I love this, man. He's. Uh, I'm just going to wimp out. So verse 6, so they took Jeremiah and put him in a, a cistern of Malk. And in the Hebrew, it's Malkiah or Malkjah, okay? I'm going to break that word down for you in just a little bit, all right? Watch this. It says, they put him in this cistern. The king's son, which was in the courtyard of the guard, they lowered him by ropes into the cistern. It had no water in it, only mud, and Jeremiah sank down into the mud. But Ebed-Melech, a Cushite, an official in the royal palace, here we see a friend showing up, okay? Look at this. This guy shows up, and watch what happens in verse 9. My lord, the king, these men have acted wickedly in all that they have done to Jeremiah the prophet. They have thrown him into a cistern where he will starve to death. And, and watch this. And when there is no longer any bread in the city, then the king commanded Ebeg melech the Cushite, take 30 men from here with you and lift Jeremiah the prophet out of the cistern before he dies. Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to understand that when friends show up, they help us out, but not in ways that we expect. Lord, right now, in the name of Jesus, God, I ask for a revelation to come about what a spirit of entitlement is. That it is not our right, God, to guilt anyone or to shame anyone into friendship, but that, God, you send friends right on time to do the things that we need, not necessarily the things that we want. God, help us to repent of the shame game. In Jesus' name, amen. You, you, you don't shame friends, do you? You don't play that. You don't, offer, you don't offer people a steamy bowl of guilt. All the games that Christians play, 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do it with the church. We say, well, you're supposed to be there for me. And you're supposed to be there in just the way that I need you to be there. You're supposed to show up immediately. Drop everything that you're doing and do exactly what I need you to do when I need you to do it. Only one problem, the church isn't a mind reader. Uh, only one problem, you haven't invited. Somehow, some way, someone's just supposed to know how they're supposed to show up because you are entitled to that somehow. Isn't it amazing how we put the expectations on people that only God can fulfill? Do you think that God has brought friends into your life to replace himself? They are but a tool to bless you, yes. To help you, yes. But they will not meet the expectations that you have that only Christ can meet. This also works for your marriage because sometimes we look at our spouse and say, why aren't you loving me like Jesus? They're doing the best they got. They're doing the best they've got. Many times we get into the spirit of entitlement. We begin to think, well, if a friend is really a friend, they show up exactly when I need them to. And they do everything I want them to. The way I want them to do it. We place these large expectations on people. That is not how friendship works. I'll make it simple for you. They come into your life and do because they want to do, not because they owe you. Nobody owes you. And you don't owe me. We owe Christ alone. So there is no guilt. There is no shame. God will send somebody, and that somebody will come right on time. But if it doesn't show up, when, and the way, and the who. Oh, let me talk about the who. Because it's got a, this person's got us. You show up with bells on, baby. You, it's got to be certain people. You know, isn't it funny how everybody wants the pastor to show up to the pit? Maybe I don't want to be at every pit. Has that ever entered your mind? There's 350 of you, one of me, but pastor, come to my pit. If I show up to a pit every day of the week, you think I'm going to be okay? I'm just a guy. I'm a guy with a friendly face, aren't I? <laughs> you need more than a friendly face. You need a friend. That doesn't mean that you're going to have special people always. Most of the time but not always there when you expect it. But you will have God send someone, and you will have your need met if you'll trust God in the middle of that situation. Let's talk about Jeremiah. He is thrown in a pit, but he's saved by a real friend, a very unlikely friend, a very uncommon friend, but a real friend nonetheless. You need friends when you're in pits. Every person in this room has pits. In fact, every person seated in this room right now has at least two pits. And they all smell. And when you're in that pit, God sends you someone that is very unlikely, someone that was different. If you noticed in the intro to the message this morning as we were listening to the great Joe Cocker sing... An old Beatles song. I think Joe Cocker pulled it off a little bit better myself. I'm a Beatles fan, but hey. You say you don't care about Joe Cocker or the Beatles? Tough. I'm the pastor. I do. <laughs> We've seen these friendships. Did you, did you notice how, the differences? I want to tell you about the best one that was up there, Bert and Ernie. 
Burton, nothing tops Burton Ernie. Now, the homosexual community just recently said that Burton Ernie should get married. Look, you already took the rainbow. That belongs to us. Come on now. The rainbow belongs to Noah. Stop messing with that. It belongs to us. You ain't getting Bert and Ernie. Are you with me? What you and I don't realize is that sometimes things are there by design, and Bert and Ernie are different by design. Here's what Sesame Street did, and I love it. They came out and they said, Bert and Ernie aren't weird their best friends. And we invented the story of Burton Ernie to teach little children that sometimes your best friends are people who are different than you. It's not a story of two weird guys. It's a story of two best friends that are different. I love that. So there's a little bit of Burton Ernie in all of us. But I'll tell you that most of the time there's more Bert than there is Ernie. So because you and I are so much like Bert, God sends us an Ernie to frustrate us a little bit, to shock us out of our Bertism, to get us out of that Bert mindset, that Bert thinking. Can I just give you a couple of just ideas of how that might work? If you have your notes ready, I, w- I want you to begin with the verse Proverbs 27.6. Wounds from a friend can be trusted. What? A friend can wound me. Think about this for a minute. If you ever say anything or do anything that wounds me a little, how can you be a friend? And yet the Bible says that wounds from a friend can be trusted. But an enemy multiplies, multiplies kisses. An enemy multiplies kisses. Are you catching this this morning? God wants to send someone to you that will frustrate your expectations. What are those expectations? Here's the first one, pride. When you're in a pit, you don't want to admit you're in a pit. You don't want to ask for help. You don't want help to show up the way it does. Because nobody likes to admit they're in a pit. Because what's in a pit? Mud and dirt And nobody wants anybody else to see their dirt. In a small town especially. (laughs) You don't know my dirt. One of the biggest things that can defeat a church is an attitude that everybody shows up dirtless. As a pastor... I hear and see and know about more dirt than I would really like to. And let me tell you, everybody's dirty. You say, well, Pastor, no, not me. I'm not. You're the dirtiest one in the room. (laughs) If you think you're pitless, and if you think your pit doesn't stink, you're the dirtiest one in the room. Everybody's got dirt everybody's been in a pit. And what would set the church free is for people to start being real. Because you may have been saved from that pit, and if others find out that God can and does save people from things that they're going through and that they're not alone, maybe if we lowered our pride, someone else would get out too. 
But if people get the idea that once you become a Christian, you never get sick, you never get lonely, you never get depressed, you never get stuck in a pit, let me tell you, everyone will hide their dirt. Come on. If we're real and we give the glory to God and we show people that even in serving Christ, we can have pit days, but that Jesus delivers us out of them all, then people start to say, I got hope, I got hope, I got hope. I believe I can make it too. Here's a start. Stop bragging to people and boasting about your accomplishments. Just stop that. Here's the prophet of God. He knows more of God and knows more of God's word than anybody. And he's in the mud up to his neck. Flavius Josephus, in the Antiquities of the Jews, says historically that he was a prophet in the mud up to his neck, about to suffocate from his calamity in his position. You and I are up to our neck in something, but nobody's going to hear it. Nobody needs to know. That will kill the church spiritually. And that is called pride. That's what that is. Here's the next one, patience. God will send people to you to help you, Ernie's, that will test your patience because they won't necessarily show up when you think they need to be there. They'll show up in just the right time, but not necessarily when you want them there. And we'll think through entitlement that they need to be there immediately, like somehow they've got ESP to know exactly when we need them. You have placed an expectation on someone that only should be placed on God. And look at God throughout the Bible, would you? He is the God of the last minute. He is the God of the 11th hour. Look at the story of Abraham and Isaac. Why is it that he goes all the way up to the mountain, all the way up to the sacrifice, places his son on on the altar, lifts the knife just as he's lifting the knife? Here comes the God of the 11th hour and staves his hand. And God saves the day. You don't see a pattern replete throughout Scripture. He is the same God that leads Moses and the Israelites, four million of them out of Egypt, all the way up to a sea. And then just as Pharaoh's army is coming, he parts that sea. And they're going through on dry ground. And just as they make it through on the other side, Pharaoh comes in and they are drowned by the same sea. He is the God of the last minute, or is he the God that's right on time? And then Jesus, on the third day, rose. He loves to change the ending. He will bring you right to the end of yourself so that you will see the beginning of God. If you're at the end of your rope, you're at the beginning of where God starts. And then a friend shows up. That's what happens in the story of Jeremiah in this pit. And we only want certain people to help us in our pits. That's called prejudice. Ernie's are what you need to help, but you're looking for a Bert. You're looking for somebody just like you. Oh, we're going to look at that a little bit more here in a minute. Just like me. Hmm. Just like me. God wants to do something different in your life, so he sends a different person. And it always doesn't look friendly, but it's certainly friendship. We get to the moment of our text. Jeremiah is 60 years old. He's been preaching for 40 years the same message to a people who did not listen to him. He is called the weeping prophet. He would often go and preach right in the middle of the city, and he would weep. The book of Lamentations is written by the same prophet. Lamentations means to weep, but it means to weep bitterly. 
He would constantly tell people the truth in love with tears. He was extremely unpopular for it, but he was a true friend. He was a true friend because he was willing to tell the truth about what was happening. And it could have saved many lives, but it didn't. It only saved a few. Why did God send him this way? Because God always sends a real friend. But that real friend that shows up doesn't make you always feel good. But that doesn't mean they're not a friend. What is in their message? His message wasn't always doom and gloom. Before we get to the text this morning, which is Jeremiah chapter 38, of course we're famous for reading the text of Jeremiah 29, 11. You've heard it before. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. He writes this right in the middle and speaks this right in the middle of saying the Babylonians are still coming. And they're coming because of the wicked idolatry. What was happening in the northern kingdom at this time? The princes, the ones that threw them in the pit, were making a lot of money off of causing the people to worship false idols. They had done this for an entire generation. Imagine 40 years of leadership that was causing people to worship in idolatry, and they were getting rich off of it. The reason why they threw Jeremiah in the pit is because it was very unprofitable for this guy to be standing in the city saying what he was saying. Mm -hmm. He says these things just as the Babylonians are attacking, and uh, the princes come out and they say, you know, by the way, this is ruining the morale of our soldiers. Our soldiers can't fight as long as this prophet is saying that it's the will of God for this enemy to come anyway. I want you to think about this for a minute. It was God's will. Many of those soldiers could have had their lives saved, but they fought anyway. Why did they fight? They fought to protect those princes and the money that they had made off the idolatry in the people. And a true friend came along and said, you're being played. A true friend came along and said, this is a game. A true friend came along and told the truth. Um, I'm not making a political statement this morning, but I will tell you this. There are lots of games in our culture being played on all of us right now. And if you are not willing to listen to the truth, and it may, it may come to you in a fashion that will be a little uncomfortable, but it might just set you free from the herd mentality that would say, follow this way, when it's not the way of God. Listen to a true friend that might come to you and might... Iron sharpening iron might give you a little friction, but might leave you sharpened in with the truth. I'll take the truth. Amen. Nobody spoke the whole truth like Jeremiah. He made mostly enemies because of it and few friends. We want a lot of friends. But the irony is, is the more friends we try to have in our lives, it seems like the least friends, the least real friends we really have. The Babylonians had already begun their siege, and King Zedekiah, old Zed, didn't have enough courage to back up his friend. So he's thrown into a well, and he's left in there to die. Why does this happen? I want you to think about this for a minute. He's doing the right thing, but he gets the wrong consequences. And the devil would have you believe this. You're in a pit because you did something wrong. Listen very carefully. Not always. You need to hear me this morning. Not always. Many times you're, <laughs> you're put in a pit because you did the right thing and now you're suffering the consequences of it. Don't think for a minute that just because you have um, circumstances that are not up to par, that that means you blew it. 
Sometimes it means you did the right thing. It means you did a lot of right things, and yet you're put in a bad place. The spiritual irony is, is he's dying in a place that's supposed to provide life. It is a well. It's a cistern. Actually, when the rains would come in Israel, there'd be two rains. Say two. They'd come the early rains and the latter rains. And when they would come, they would sweep down into the lowest parts of the country, and there would be these cisterns there that would collect all the rainwater. Here's what I want to teach you about that. Have you ever, have you ever seen the gutter? You ever been near a gutter when it rains? I mean, it's been raining a lot. We got a few gutters around here. I do a lot of jogging. I try to stay away from the gutters, you know? I don't want to fall in there, you know? Not like this big guy would, but, you know, I just said, uh, and my dog Chloe hates gutters too, and I don't know why. I think she's just spooked by them. But anyway, you'll hear all that rainwater going through. Well, it's not exactly drinkable. It's not exactly a great place to maybe drink from. But when things would get really dry in an arid, culture, an arid uh, country and culture, they would literally use these places to save the lives of the people around them. They could irrigate the lands from these cisterns. Well, this one happened to be uh, void of water, uh, but it had plenty of mud. And in this cistern, Jeremiah is thrown down into it, and he's sinking. He's now up to his neck. And let me tell you the reason why. You see, they could have just killed him, but they didn't have the heart to do it. The princess should have done that, but they didn't. They didn't have the courage to do it. They wanted to do more and kill him. They wanted to, they wanted to torture him. They wanted him to die slowly. Like some of you are dying already this morning in this message. You're just dying a slow death as pastor preaches. La, 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 la. You can get mad at me for it. Vitamin C to bed at nine. In Jesus' name. I mean it. It only gets this good once a week. Well, I'll get it online. No, you won't. He's sinking up to his neck. He's in the muck. He's in the mire. What's going on there? The devil just wants to have a slow death. And in your life, he would love for you to begin to think, well, I've done something wrong. I must not have done what God wanted me to do. I said the thing that I needed to say to a friend, and now they hate me. And now they don't like me. And God, this isn't working. Why have you called me to say these kind of things? I guess I won't tell the truth anymore. I'll just placate. I'll tell everybody what they want to hear. You're not a friend then. He's sinking in this, in this muck. He's sinking in this mire. And the devil is saying, let me give you a slow death. You see, the devil doesn't just want to kill you. He wants to torture you. He hates you because you represent the victory of Christ. Did you know that? You're the exact reason why Jesus died in the first place. Because you represent the glory and the victory and the prize of Christ. And he hates it because he's been defeated already at the cross. He would like nothing more than to see you go slow. And this is where Jeremiah is put. But not for long because he did have a friend show up. The Bible says that this friend that comes and saves him begins to plead to the king. He's got enough courage to talk to the king about his buddy. His name is Ebed-Melech. Say it with me, Ebed-Melech. All right. The king says, fine. I don't know why. It's a miracle of God, but fine. If you love the man that much, you go ahead and get him out. He goes, and the king says, take 30 with you. Why 30? It doesn't take doesn't take 33 to get him out or 31 to get him out 
The other 30 were to protect the guy that was very, very unpopular that was in that well as they pulled him out. He's pulled out by this man, and this is the most unlikely man that we could ever find in Scripture to be a friend. He is there at just the right moment to save his life. But what is going on just before that happens? Can I give you a little picture? You see, he's sinking in mud. You see, he's sinking in a place of too little. And I want to speak very prophetically about your place of too little. You see, there is moisture there. He can't drink it. There's just enough moisture to have mud, but not enough to drink and survive. Here's the thing about church. Watch this. Church is a place connected and known for life. But that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody isn't dying here. What bothers me as a pastor, and it really does, is, and please understand, sit where you want. Sit wherever you want. We're, we're, you know, hey, it's a free country, man. Free country. But it bothers me when I see people sit alone. That's all I'm saying. Ooh, crickets. See, we equate friendship with a smiling greeter. That's only the beginning of friendship. Someone could come into a well like this, known for life, be surrounded by life, be surrounded by people, and still be lonely. Do you do with? Do you understand with? You see, with is the separator. When I was growing up as a kid, we used to say, we'd shorten our sentences. If we wanted to invite invite somebody to do something with us, we'd just say, hey, with? And, you know, it'd be like, that meant Burger King, that meant doing the, you know, cat in the drag. Anybody ever cat the drag like me back when, when gas was cheap? You know, you'd drive from the bank to Burger King to the bank to the Burger King to the bank to the Burger King all night long. And just think you were going places. You were going nowhere but in circles. Kind of like children of Israel around same mountain, same mountain. But we were with. We were with. We weren't alone. Jeremiah is ironically in a place of too little. And he's got nobody to do with. Not only is there not enough water, just enough for mud, but not enough to drink. There's also a lot of dirt in there. And the water mixes with the dirt and it makes mud. So not only does he not have enough to be able to have something to drink. He is dying from that, dying of thirst, but he's also in a place where there's not enough earth to stand on. And and many of you are just like me. You've had these seasons of too little. Can I give you a couple of examples? These are some of my seasons of too little. How about that moment in your life, you've all had it, when, uh, when you land a job, but it doesn't actually pay you enough to pay the bills, but it's the only job you could get so you do it but it's still not enough to pay the bills and it doesn't have health insurance benefits but it doesn't pay you enough to buy your own that's a place of too little you remember those days oh you're all rich aren't you it never happened never never happened to me how about how about when you tried to go buy your first house and uh you had enough for the mortgage payment but not enough for the down payment that's a place of too little you need help. You need a friend. I can remember when I bought my first house, there were some people that came along and said, uh, heard you can't afford the down payment. I was like, who squeaked? Sarah, did you tell them? Who squeaked? Somebody came along. We paid them back. But I couldn't afford the down. I couldn't afford 20. Remember when you had to put down 20%? Anymore, you can get like a mortgage for nothing. But there was a day when you had to have 10 to 20%. Come on. And if somebody didn't help you... <laughs> 
I was working in a factory, man. I worked in a factory for 19 years. I wasn't making enough money to save up 20% for a house. Who's walking around with 20 grand? And somebody helped me. And I paid him back. It's a friend. How about, uh, how about when you're healthy enough to leave the hospital, but you're not, you don't have enough strength, you got too little strength to get out of the bed once you leave it. You got too little strength to even make it out to the grocery store to have something to eat. You need a friend. You need a real friend. That's what I'm talking about. A place of too little where somebody's got to pull you out. And if you were in that place and you're full of pride and you say, well, I don't need any help. I don't need any help. You're going to look pretty funky at the grocery store, right? In your PJs and your sweats trying to push a cart, passing out. You need a friend. And you've all been there. I've been there too. By the way, I wear pajamas all the time. It's the rage. It's the rage. Let's talk about the name of this place very quickly. The name of this place that he's in, this well, is Malkaja or Malkaya. Let me break this down for you here. Watch this. It means literally God is king. Yah means God. Malka means king. God is king. Your place is too little. God's still in charge there. God's still in charge. God still has a plan. God, God is gonna, gonna show up. God's there too. He'll never leave you or forsake you. That's what this place means. We want God to be king, but we don't uh, necessarily want him to save us the way he wants to. Admitting that you need help is probably one of the hardest things that you'll ever do, but watch this. Accepting the way the help re- arrives is even harder. Because it's just, I don't want you to see that I got dirt. I don't want help that way. You see, can you help me privately? God, can you help me without a person? Will you read your Bible, please? God always sends help in the form of a person. God wants to send you someone, and it's not going to show up the color you like. But it'd be a friend. It'd be a friend. When you, when you cut down another race, you're, you're, you are degrading the blood, the red blood of Christ. The only color that matters is red. The blood of Jesus. This man shows up and he's got the courage. Who is he? He's a eunuch. Be an adult right now, because I gotta take you into an adult conversation. What a eunuch is. They castrated this man. He had no, uh, yeah. Are you with me? Here's why. It was his job to take care of the king's harem. Uh, That's why they castrated him. The king had all kinds of wives, and he didn't want the guy that was supposed to be taking care of the harem sleeping with the harem. So here comes this African to come save the prophet who's in a well, and watch this. He's not even a man's man. You can't be my friend unless you got, you got testosterone. Unless you show up and you kill things like me. I like to kill things too. I mean, I, that, that's manly. But what happens when God shows up in a guy that doesn't show up in what you think and what you call a man? And here he is. He doesn't have the testosterone, but he's got 
He's the only one that's got the courage to pull the prophet out. It shows up in an unlikely way, but it's still God. And your prejudice will get in the way of your salvation that will come in the package of a human being that you won't necessarily like. But it is just the person that God has brought into your life to help you. Some of you, your major, major problem is, is you're hanging around with everybody that agrees with everything you do and say, they tell you because you're white, because you mow your lawn the way they mow their lawn, because you do what they do, that you're perfect and everyone else is not. Let me tell you something. Your pit stinks. You need somebody different to show up and say, hey, by the way, I can help you with that. I'm totally different than you. And I may color my house a different color than you color yours. But I'm your friend. And I love you. Get in a car and go for a drive, would you? Just, just drive 50 miles plus. Show up to some place and be a friend to somebody that's a little bit different than you. And watch God show up. Watch him show up in mighty ways. Hello. Man, I got all kinds of friends in here this morning. This is good. This is good, man. This is good. That's his name. Ebed Melech. It means servant of the king. And he shows up to a well that's called God is king. To save a prophet whose name literally means God lifts. God lifts. Oh, the names tell the story. The names tell the story. Prophetically, they tell the story. Here is a guy that is really the one with courage, really the one to be the friend, who says he's the servant of the king and is, shows up to a place where God is king, but it is the most unlikely place where you'd ever think God is king, and it is the most unlikely friend that you would think God would ever use to bail out a guy who knew God better and had more of the power of God than anyone else, whose name means God lifts. And how does he get lifted out? Oh, if I haven't really, if I haven't given you spiritual stretch marks yet, I will close with one. He goes and gets old rags and worn out clothes and puts them together, lowers it into the well by a rope and tells the prophet, put these under your arms and wrap them around you. We're going to pull you out. You say, well, big deal. Big deal. Let me tell you what the big deal is. Prophets wore a certain, prophets and priests wore a certain type of clothing. In fact, their clothing was considered to be anointed. This is why when Elijah went up into heaven, his mantle fell back down. It was part of his clothing and uh, touched and anointed his protege, Elisha. They weren't to touch anything dead or unclean. We're so holy. We're so good. But I'm in a pit. I'm up to my neck in my own pride and in my own prejudice and my own holiness. And then how does God show up? He uses a black man to show up and he uses old rags and worn out clothes that aren't supposed to touch my body. This is put in there by the Holy Spirit to teach all of eternity a lesson that when God shows up, he's going to frustrate you because he wants to change you and he's saving you out of more than just a physical pit 
He's saving you out of the pit of hell, which is where pride will take you, which is where prejudice will take you, which is where preference will take you. Oh, pastor, come. Let me have your ear. Let me bend your ear and tell you what my preference is for the church next. You are amazing. Thank you, Sherlock. Stand in line with all the other people who have a thing to say about the church. I've even had one person tell me in my history here, it might be nice if you wore a robe. You got a problem with the way this body looks? I'm trying. I know I'm a little, you know, the bubble's in the middle, but I'm trying. Just trying. We want to put robes on everything. We want everything to look spiritual. We want everything to sound spiritual. We want everything to have a certain spiritual flair. And then we don't want to admit that there's dirt. And we're in pits. And we're sinking in mud. And then God sends us a real friend to tell us the truth. Jesus showed up the same way and started messing with everybody around him and said to the Pharisees, you think it's all, you whited sepulchers. You're clean on the outside, but you're dead on the inside. I love you. You think it's all about the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. He is a God. Thank God he does. He picks David. Yeah, he picks the runt. The smallest, the youngest, the one with the heart. On the outside, he doesn't look like God's man. But on the inside, he is God's man. So he sends down through this unlikely friend, old rags and worn out clothes. And the prophet says, good enough for me. Yeah, I'm to wear a mantle. But this is what's going to pull me out of the pit. How dare we have a preference to how God saves us? You might want to be careful what you ask God to deliver you from because you might just get your wish. And it may show up in a way you don't like, but it will pull you out. Humble up if you want a real friend. Humble up and listen. Lower your pride. Repent of your prejudice. Get rid of this preferential attitude. I love it. He wraps it around himself. And and, and in order to be pulled out, I could just see his arms going up. This place of surrender. The end of the story is this, very quickly. Ebed-Melech and his entire family is saved. Is saved because he was a true friend. The prophet prophesies that over his life, and his, he and his whole family is saved. All the princes and the king are killed. The royal priesthood is not who sits in the palace. The royal priesthood of God are the ones out in the pits saving people and pulling people out. Don't think for a minute that just because there's a title next to someone's name that they're necessarily pit people. Races are won in NASCAR in the pit. I don't watch NASCAR, but that sounded pretty good. (laughs) Just slip it in there. I, I know I'm in a church with people who care about people who are in a pit. I'm going to challenge you over the next couple of weeks to build relationships and take out to lunch people who are different than you. 